الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين إهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير
Is your hair standing up on your skin now? Now do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Okay. The reciter's name was Hani Ar-Rifai. Hani Ar-Rifai. He's reciting Surah Al-Fajr. He's reciting Surah Al-Fajr. Wallahi, I let, I played, there's a, actually there's a video that goes along with this recitation. I played it for my seventh graders and my sixth graders, wallahi, I had the whole classroom crying. The whole classroom was literally in tears. And as I said yesterday on the minbar, you try to find your heart when the Quran is being recited. You try to find your heart when you hear the Quran being recited. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Takshairu. That the, the skin trembles. Those who fear Allah, when they hear the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their skin trembles. And literally, my hair is standing up on my skin the whole time. His name is Hani, H-A-N-Y, Ar-Rifai. So, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salam ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen wa ala alihi 
Good morning to everyone and welcome to our morning remembrances discussion where we are talking about the characteristics of the Prophet that allowed him to navigate challenging times. The characteristics of the Prophet that allowed him to navigate challenging times. We started uh, with the first quality of resilience. And we explained what the word resilience means. And we gave examples from H-A-N-I, Hani, H-A-N-I, Hani Arrifai. <clears throat> the first quality that we talked about was resilience. Right, and we gave examples of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, um, you know, being resilient, and that is the uh, the capacity to recover from difficulties. We talked about quality number two, which was foresight, and we kind of elaborated on that a little bit more last night in our discussion. The quality of foresight. What is foresight? Let me see who remembers. What is foresight? And what are the three ways that a person acquires foresight? What is foresight and what are the three ways that a person can acquire foresight? Let me see who was paying attention. I have a free book to the first person who can answer that question. The whole question. What is foresight and what are the three ways to acquire foresight? Mm. Mm. Nobody answered the three ways. Closeness to Allah, personal experiences, staying depriving yourself. MashaAllah, Sharice, please email me and uh, I will email you a book. Sharice, sister Sharice Bay, you got it. <laughs> you got it, MashaAllah. One of my students anyway. Allahu Akbar. Email me, inshallah, and I will send you, I will send you your book, inshallah. You got it. So the three ways to um, the three ways to attain um, the three ways to attain um, foresight. Foresight is the ability to see the ending at the beginning. All right, the the ability to see the ending at the beginning, and the three ways to acquire it is number one through your faith, farasa imaniya to be able to acquire farasa, um, foresight through your closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, through farasa riyadiyya, through, you know, um, through exercising the human spirit, exercising the human spirit, depriving yourself of certain things like fasting, depriving yourself of sleep, fasting, you know, helps you to be more focused and, you know, helps to enhance that quality. So denying yourself your desires, right? Training yourself, training yourself. 
And then uh, the last one was through your own personal experience, life experiences, life experiences. Number three, from the qualities of the Prophet Sallallahu that allowed him to navigate uh, challenging times is to be a high functioner. That the Prophet Sallallahu he never met people at low levels of behavior, right? We describe the Prophet Sallallahu as uh, as Allah described him, you are on an exalted standard of character. You are on an exalted standard of character. That means if the Prophet was on an exalted standard of character, that means he was a high functioning individual, which means that if you are a high functioner, you cannot engage people in lowly behaviors. You don't engage people in low level behaviors. And, and we have to be high-functioning people. That's Muslim. That is a Muslim, in essence. A Muslim, in essence, is a high-functioning individual. They don't meet people in these low-level behaviors. We, we don't meet people there. The people want to engage in low-level behaviors. We're not going to meet them there. And we gave an example of the Prophet ﷺ during the signing of the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah. When they said, no, we're gonna not, we're not gonna write Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Just write in the name of Allah. We're not writing ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We're not doing that. The Prophet ﷺ said, okay, not a problem. I'm not, this is petty. I'm not gonna meet you on that. The Prophet ﷺ told Ali Uktub min Muhammad Rasulillah, write from Muhammad the Messenger of Allah. They said, wait a minute, we don't know you to be the Messenger of Allah. We don't know you to be the messenger of Allah. The Prophet Sallallahu told Ali, just write Muhammad, uh, the son of Abdullah. Just write Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. I know that I am the messenger of Allah. I know that I am the messenger of Allah. Even if they refuse to acknowledge it, that doesn't take away from me who I know I am. It doesn't take away from what, and, and this is something that even, you know, street dudes, street dudes that convert to Islam, that, you know, remove themselves from the streets, you know, when you are in this on this side of the fence, right? When you're on this side of the fence, you have to function. You have to be a high-functioning individual because you know what your capabilities are. And sometimes we allow shaitan to come in between us and, our, you know, in our egos and to, you know, incite the ego. You know, you're thinking about who you used to be. You're thinking about, you know, maybe the people you shot. Maybe the people you beat up in your life, maybe the people that you've robbed, maybe the, the people that were afraid of you and scared of you in your world. But then you step out into another world and the people don't know who you are. They don't give a damn who you are and what your reputation is and, and you know what your credentials are. They don't care about that. And then sometimes we allow shaitan to take us back to that place. You are not a low functioning individual anymore. You are a high functioner. You're functioning and, you know, you're walking into banks, paying bills, dropping off money. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're getting up, going to work. You are a CEO, a boss at your job, a supervisor at your job. You are a high functioner. You are not functioning on that level anymore. You are not functioning on that level anymore. And you have to, you know, you have to, you have to learn how to function as a high functioning individual. The Prophet ﷺ said, I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to meet you where you are. Like you're telling me I'm not the messenger. Of, don't write Muhammad, the, the messenger of Allah down on the paper. 
write Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. The Prophet said, write Muhammad, the son of Abdullah. It doesn't take anything away from me. I know who I am. You letting somebody walk away, you letting someone win an argument doesn't mean that, <laughs> doesn't mean that they have, you know, stepped on who you believe you are. That's an insecurity. Many marriages have been lost as a result of that. Many, uh, many lives have been lost as a result of that. Think about how many people right now who are in the grave right now because they had something to prove. I don't have anything to prove to somebody that I don't care about. I want you to understand this. I have nothing to prove to somebody that I don't care about. I don't live with you. I don't see you every single day. I have nothing to prove to you. Nothing. Another example of the Prophet ﷺ being a high functioner, right? Not meeting people in these low-level behaviors, right? One day he was sitting with his wife Aisha and a group from the Jews, a, 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 group, a group of Jewish men walked by and they were making mockery of the Prophet ﷺ. They know that the Islamic behavior and etiquette is to say assalamu alaikum, right? They walked by the Prophet Sallallahu and they said, Assamu Alaik, Assamu Alaik, Assam meaning death, poison, death be upon you, right? Death be upon you. They're, they're saying this to the Prophet Sallallahu while he's sitting there with his wife, Assamu Alaik, may death be upon you. And the Prophet Sallallahu he retorted with, Wa Alaik, and to you too. I'm not, I'm not going to meet you where you are. You you want to play these games. I'm I'm not going to like I'm a high functioner. I'm I'm not going to meet you there. Aisha jumps down and she says, "Assalamu alaik wa la'natullahi alaik wa ghadiballahu alaik." Aisha jumps down and she starts yelling at them. May death be upon you and the curse of Allah on you and the anger of Allah on you. She's yelling at them for what they said to the Prophet In that moment, Aisha met them where they were. In that moment, they pulled you right off of your square. You understand? In that very moment, and sometimes it happens to us, somebody can pull you right out of your character. Pulled Aisha right out of her character in that moment. But look at the Prophet Sallallahu He was very calm, very collective, very disciplined. Very disciplined. Because he's a high functioner. High functioner. No, I'm not going to let you pull me down from that. And sometimes we all get caught out of there. So, you know, we all get caught out there. Somebody engages us. We're in the grocery store. We're in Walmart or Target. We, we out and about somewhere. You have to always remember, you have nothing to prove. I have nothing to prove to you. As long as you don't, uh, you know, inflict any physical harm on me or on my family, you're free to say whatever you want to say. You're free to say whatever you want to say. The, the guy walked past the Prophet Sallallahu and said, Assamu Anik. Death be upon you. While he's sitting there with his wife, disrespected him in front of his wife. This for all you men, right? Death be upon you. While he's sitting with his wife, the Prophet ﷺ responds with nothing more than 
وعليك انت يوتيوب to you too. And Aisha jumps down and she starts yelling at them and death be upon you and the curse of Allah be upon you and the anger of Allah be upon you. And the Prophet ﷺ, he turns to Aisha. This is a husband-wife conversation. Sometimes women, especially African-American women, you're very assertive. I don't like to say aggressive. You're very assertive because you have to be. And you are the protector of the flock. Make no mistake about that. In the African-American, I can't speak for other cultures, but in African-American culture, the black woman is the protector of the family. That's a fact. That's a fact. Even over, even over the men, even over the men, she is the protector. She is the garter of the family. That's our culture. I can't speak for anybody else's culture, but in African-American community, in, in our culture, African-American women, they are the protectors of the family. The husband is there for aesthetics purposes. If he's built, if he's, you know, got a mean, mean mugging, a grill, but the black woman, nah, she, she gonna protect her family. She gonna, she gonna protect her husband. <laughs> you understand? A man get out there and start fighting with another man, the woman automatically, she don't even think, it's instinctive. She jumps in to assist. Whether she's pregnant, it doesn't even matter what her situation is. That's just the black woman. Shout out to all you black women. Shout out to all you black women. This is not, for those of you who believe this is racist talk, think about how you feel about the women in your culture. I feel the same way about the women in my culture. Probably even more. Probably even more. This is not racist talk. This is me expressing how much I love Black women, the Black women that come from where I come from, that look like my mother, look like my grandmother. You understand? Why is it racism when we love where we come from? <laughs> but you can hold up the Palestinian flag, the Yemeni flag. You can put this flag on your on your on your thumbnail or whatever the case may be. You love where you come from. It's nothing nothing wrong about that. Nothing wrong with that. I love where I come from. I'm not, what am I supposed to be ashamed? I'm supposed to change my culture, I'm supposed to change who I am? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> and still so Muslim, <laughs> still so Muslim, you understand? All the way Muslim, <laughs> a whole Muslim, you understand? But I love where I come from. I love where I come from and I love black women and any opportunity that I get to elevate their status, elevate their status in the eyes of the people who have destroyed their status. These women are not angry. They're not bitter. They're not aggressive. They're not known. They're assertive. They're educated. They're protective. They're overprotective of their families. Absolutely. Let's change that narrative. Let's change that narrative. I'm sorry. So the Prophet Sallallahu turns to Aisha. This is a husband and wife conversation, right? The Prophet Sallallahu turns to Aisha and he says, Mahlan ya Aisha. He said, relax, Aisha. She said, didn't you hear what they said to you? The Prophet Sallallahu said, yes, Aisha, but didn't you hear what I said back? Didn't you hear what I said back to them? 
Didn't you hear what I said back to them? Yeah, they said that to me. But what did I say back to them? This is a husband trying to calm his wife down, trying to get her to see his logic. I don't have to respond like them, right? Aisha says, didn't you hear what they said to you? The Prophet said, yes. But didn't you hear what I said back to them? I, I, I said to them and to you too. And to you too. He said, used to jabble. The Prophet said, Allah will answer my dua against them, but will not answer their dua against me. You understand? He said, Allah will answer my dua against them, but Allah will not answer their dua against me. In another narration, he asked Aisha, when have you ever known me to be disrespectful? I'm a high functioner. I don't meet people where they are in that moment. Another example is when the guy came to the Prophet's house and Aisha went to the door and told the Prophet who it was. And the Prophet said, How embarrassing is this individual to his tribesmen, to his family? Let him in. And the guy came in. And the Prophet وسلم, laughed with him, joked with him, fed him. And then when he left, Aisha's like, how could you say what you said about him? And then when he comes in, you laugh with him, you joke with him. You know, why, why, how do, how do you do that? And I, and the Prophet وسلم, had to explain to Aisha that just because I feel a certain way about someone doesn't mean that I have to treat them according to how I feel. Islam controls my actions I control my emotions. I am entitled to feel about anybody any way that I want to. Those are my feelings. That's my emotions. I control my feelings. Islam dictates my behavior. You understand? I can feel any way I want to feel about you. That's, those are my personal feelings. But Islam dictates my behavior. I do not have a right to treat you a certain way because I feel a certain way about you. You understand? I control my emotions. Islam controls my behavior. Islam dictates my behavior. The Prophet said, How embarrassing is he as a, as a, as a tribes person? How embarrassing he is to his family, his tribal, his, his tribesmen. But then when he came in, the Prophet وسلم, in Basata ilayhi, he laughed with them, joked with them, fed him as a guest. And then when he left, Aisha asked the Prophet ﷺ, how could you say what you said about him and then treat him differently? The Prophet ﷺ said, Aisha, meta when have you ever known me to be disrespectful? When have you ever known me to be disrespectful, Aisha? Just because I feel like this about him doesn't mean I have to treat him accordingly. I control my emotions. I am responsible for my emotions. Islam dictates my behavior. You do not get to treat people a certain way because you feel some type of way about them. And this is what we don't understand in, uh, in the Muslim community. Because when we don't like somebody, we don't give them salams. What does salam have, what does giving the person the greeting of salam have to do with you not liking them? What does one have to do with the other? So you will refuse me my right of giving me the salam because you don't like me? Like how childish is that? 
How childish is that? And I know grown men, grown men with gray hair in their beard that do the same thing. Because you don't like me. You walk right past me. Don't give me the salams. Or I say, salam alaikum, and you walk right past me and don't return the salam because you don't like me. <laughs> like you are like, let, here, let me, let me break this down. for you. Guess what? Guess what? What if I told you, you are allowed to feel about me any way you want to? What about, what about that? What if I told you, you are allowed to feel about me any way you want to? You don't have to like me. You can hate me. You can, you can want to do something to me if you had the opportunity. You can, to the end of it, you are entitled. Those are your emotions. Nobody can dictate to you your emotions. What if I told you that it was okay for you to feel any type of way that you want about a person? But what if I also told you that you don't have to treat them? You don't have to deny them their haq. You don't have to deny them their right of salam just because you don't like them. One has nothing to, like, it's like we're dealing with children. It's like we're dealing with children. Grown men, I know grown men right now, I could walk past them right now, they will still not give me the salams because the shakes warned against me, right? Even if the shake warned against me, it's not the shakes warned against me. One shake warned against me. One shake warned against me. Not the scholars warned against. Please stop saying that. Don't put the S on there. S denotes plurality. There was no plurality. There was one scholar that you got into his ear, personal feelings got involved, and he warned against me. But what if I told you, even if he told you to not take knowledge from you, that he still did not tell you, do not give me my Islamic rights of giving me the greeting of salam. What if I told you that? Did he say that? So where is this walk past the person, not give them the salams? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? I, I'm just, I'm confused. I'm baffled. There are many people, there are many people that I am not particular about, but if I saw them, I would give them the greeting of salam. Salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. I still want peace for you. I still want good for you. Even if you don't want it for me, that's fine. You understand? That's fine. And I know women do it. I know you guys do it to each other. I know you women do it to each other. And it's sad because it shows an immaturity. It shows an immaturity. It, it, shows a, it shows a lack of maturity. Well, in the UK, you guys are a lot different. You function a lot different. African-Americans, we're very emotional, grudge-holding individuals, like jealous, you know, envious individuals. That stuff runs through us like measure the dem. It flows through us like blood. Man. That, that UK is, you function completely different. Please do not draw parallels between what goes on in the UK, what goes on in America, completely different. It's completely different behaviors. But the Prophet Sallallahu he treated him when he came in like a guest because that is what Islam dictates. 
person comes into your home, you treat them like a guest, whether you like them or you don't like them, whether you're fond of them or you're not fond of them. Whether you're fond of them or you're not fond of them. Islam dictates your behavior. Someone come into your house as a guest, they get guest treatment, whether you are fond of them or not, because Islam dictates your behavior. So that is why the Prophet dealt with him the way that he did when he came into his home. And he said at the beginning, before he came in, he expressed how he felt about him. And so Aisha could not make the connection. He couldn't make the connection. She couldn't make the connection. She said, how is it that you could say what you said about him and then turn around and deal with him the way that you dealt with him? And the Prophet said that, when have you ever known me to be disrespectful? Meaning I'm not going to treat him according to how I feel about him. How I feel about him is one way. How Islam dictates to me how I should treat him is something completely different. That is what is called a high functioner. I, 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 wait, I am waiting for the day that we get to the point in our religion where we become high functioning individuals and stop being so emotional, so driven by emotion, driven by ego, driven by, you know, this, 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 this idea, this philosophy that, you know, I can prove to everybody how great I am. Let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expose how great you are. Let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expose how great you are. You don't have to do that. Let Allah do that. We come to quality number four. We come to quality number four. I mean, I, I'm just kind of addressing certain things. You know, maybe it's not as prevalent or maybe not as, you know, as frequent as it used to be in the past. But you know, we can't move forward without addressing, you know, the things that have plagued our communities in the past. These behaviors have plagued our communities in the past, and we can't just move on from it without addressing it. We can't just, you know, move on without addressing those things. So somebody might look at me and say, why does he keep bringing up all of these old issues? Why does he keep bringing up, you know, these issues from the past? It's not that I'm, it, because we haven't gotten past them. We haven't, the, the only way that we can have closure is when we sit down and we address them, why they happened, how they impacted us, how they affected us, and moving forward, how we can avoid ever allowing that to infiltrate our ranks again. You understand? Absolutely. We address it and we learn from it. Don't sit here and say, well, you know, he always bringing up this stuff from the past because we never addressed it. When have we as a community here in America, African-American Muslims who have been affected by these type of behaviors that have, that have rummaged through our you know, communities, have destroyed, desecrated our entire communities? When have we ever had closure with these things? It's just like we turn a new page and we move on. I'm no longer on that. I'm no longer like that. And, and just keep it pushing. No, because there were people that were really affected by this stuff. There were people that were really affected by this, these type of behaviors. So don't get mad at me because I keep going backwards to address certain things here and there when it's necessary, because it's closure. It's closure for me and for everybody else who was affected by that stuff. 
you can sit from a place of privilege and say, why does he keep going back in that? Because you were probably one of the perpetrators of that behavior. If you were a perpetrator of that behavior and you don't do it anymore, you are the one that feels uncomfortable when I go back and address it because you were the perpetrator of those same behaviors. And you just want to move on because you're no longer on that. You no longer function like that. I get it. And I applaud you for having grown and having evolved. I applaud you for that. But don't criticize somebody who was affected by that behavior and chooses to go back now that we have, you know, I have some level of influence at this point in my life that I'm going to use my influence to go back and help people bring closure. I'm going to use my influence and that's exactly what I'm doing. I am using my platform, my influence to go back and help people have closure. Our communities were destroyed, man. And we're still dealing with the residual effects of that. And some people are still there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them. So we come to quality number four. We come to quality number four from the qualities of the Prophet that allow the characteristics of the Prophet that allowed him to navigate uh, challenging times. And that is the quality of forgiveness. The quality of forgiveness. Resentment, brothers and sisters, please pay attention to this. Resentment is an anchor that will, that will not allow you to move forward, that will not allow you to propel, propel yourself forward to the next level of your life. Resentment. Resentment is an anchor. Like, you know, you tie an anchor to the bottom of someone's leg. This is how the mob, they would get rid of people. They would tie something heavy to their leg and then throw them in the ocean because it sinks them all the way down to the bottom. That's resentment. Resentment is an anchor. Pulls you all the way down and will not allow you to move forward to the next stage or phase of your life. Forgiveness is a quality that you have to incorporate if you want to navigate challenging times. If you're walking around with resentment, you understand what I'm saying? You're walking around resenting people, hating people, you, you, you become just like them, right? And this is why it's, you know, the statement like, you know, be careful of hatred because you oftentimes become the thing that you hate. Uh, what if you were destroyed by something and you've forgiven the person, but you still hurt? Here again, you hurting is your journey. You forgiving the person. Forgiveness is about you, not about the other person. Forgiveness is about you. That's how you lay your burden down so that you can move on with your life. The pain is still there. The pain is real. Nobody's telling you to ignore the pain. The pain is real. But the box that you put yourself in, that's an illusion. The pain is real. The box is an illusion. 
You don't have to stay in that box, in that place, hurting, wallowing in your pain, wallowing in your self-pity. Oh, woe is me. This person did this to me. What if I told you you don't have to stay there? Your emotions, the pain that the person caused you, that is now your journey. But you don't have to take the person along with you on the journey. Because that's essentially what you're doing when you don't forgive them. You're taking them along the journey with you. You put a cuff, a handcuff around their arm, handcuff around your arm, and you're dragging them throughout your journey. You will never heal if you do that. You will never heal if you allow, if you do that. It's to your own detriment. Resentment is an anchor that will not allow people to propel themselves forward to the next level of their lives. In our journey, in becoming the best versions of ourselves, which I hope that's what we're all striving for. Every day that we wake up, we are on a journey. We're continuing on in our journey to become the best version of ourselves. One of our biggest obstacles in our journey to becoming the best version of ourselves, one of our biggest obstacles is gonna be ourselves. One of your biggest obstacles is going to be you. You have to learn how to forgive and keep it moving. Learn how to, you know, forgive because forgiveness requires humility. You got to humble yourself, right? Which raises your status in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu said, Man lillah, ta'ala. That whoever humbles himself before Allah, Allah will raise him in status, raise him in degrees. Forgiving somebody requires you to humble yourself. It requires you to stop for a second, understand that the person where they were in their life, you know, that's not where you were in your life. And as a result of that, you know, as we are moving along in our lives, we are going, our lives are going to cross paths with other people. Some of these people we marry, some of these people we have children with, some of these people's lives, you know, cross, we cross paths for a certain amount of time. You understand? The two people were married, and then those two people had children together, and then those two people went on with their lives in separate directions. Their lives cross paths for a certain amount of time. It might have been a year, two years, three years, five years, and then you kind of kept going. For the time that your life crossed paths, that person was at a different place in their life than where you were, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, you know, physically, you know. We, we cross paths, but we cross paths at times that we are not in sync. We are all working on something individually. So you're going to experience many violations, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Simply because people are navigating their world, trying to get to where they need to get to. And sometimes that clashes with your world and you trying to get to where you need to get to. You understand? Don't take it personal. Our problem is we take it personal. Stop taking things so personal. How many times have a man and a woman been married? They each cause some type of trauma, emotional trauma in their lives because of where they are or where they were at that time. And they separate, they go their separate ways. 
And then they might meet each other 10 years later, 15 years later, and they're both at different phases of their lives. And the person is able to say, you know what? I'm so sorry for the amount of pain that I caused you. I, I really am. You know, I was at a, I was young. You know, I didn't know any better. You know, there were a lot of things that I was, you know, immature to. There were a lot of things that I didn't understand. You know, and, and I'm sorry for the pain that I caused you at that time. How many times have that happened to me? And then when you hear the person say that, you kind of realize at that moment, like, damn, like, that's just what happens. It wasn't personal. It's just that's where that person was in their lives. It's not personal. They just did not have the emotional, psychological capacity to be able to accommodate you in where you were at that time. They didn't. They didn't. How many women right now, you, you know, your first husband or your first boyfriend or that person that could have been your potential husband right now that you are not married to and you're saying to yourself like, damn, this, this guy was actually a good dude. I messed that up. There's a, there's a book, um, I'm forgetting her name, Schreider, Schreider. It's called Five Things That, Five Dumb Things That Women Do to Destroy Their Marriages. Uh, I have the book at my other house. I'm gonna, I'll post the picture of it. I believe I posted it before. Five dumb things that women do to destroy their marriages. Please read that book. You know, but we, in our journey, we are going to, you know, experience many violations. You know, people are going to violate us, violate, you know, our principles, our morals, our values, you know, the walls that we put up. You know, people are going to violate those things, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, simply because people are navigating their world, trying to get to where they need to get to. But that clashes sometimes with our world and where we believe that we're trying to get to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the story of Prophet Yusuf السلام, to the Prophet وسلم, while he was in Mecca. That's a, that's a Mekkiya surah. That surah was revealed before the Prophet وسلم, made hijrah. All right. And then you got to think back to what was going on in the Meccan period at the time that that surah was revealed. The Prophet وسلم, was dealing with a lot of oppression, right? Oppression from Quraysh. You know, violations of, of Islamic, you know, principles. They poured pig intestines on the back of the Prophet <laughs> You understand? This is, this is, you know, him living in Mecca. This is him living in Mecca. And they poured pig intestines on his back while he was in sujood. Abu Jahl slapped Asma, the, the daughter of Abu Bakr, slapped Asma and broke her earring, snapped her earring out of her ear. You know, these, these are violations that are going on during this time. And there were many things that were done to him and the people that he loved and the people that followed him. And these things were, you know, being done to him by people that he was not fond of, people that he did not necessarily love or like. But if you go back to the story of Prophet Yusuf, the story of Prophet Yusuf, in essence, is a story of forgiveness. 
Yusuf's brothers did one of the greatest violations, treachery, that anybody, this is one of the most difficult things for any one of us to recover from. Somebody that is close to you because the closer the person is to you, the more harm, the more damage the person can do to you. A person who is a stranger, he can only get or she can only get in but so far. But the closer the person is to you, the more damage the person can do to you. This is why the Prophet said, Alhamu al mot the brother-in-law is like death. The brother-in-law is like death, meaning for a woman to be alone with her husband's brother. This is the closest stranger to her. It's her husband's brother. This is the closest uh, stranger to her. And he has the ability to do the most harm. The Prophet said, The brother-in-law is like death. Death to the marriage. Death to morality. You understand? Because the closer the person is to you, the more harm they can do to you. This is this is the you know this is the danger. The Prophet is trying to give us a, you know an understanding of this. But the the one of the most difficult things for many of us to get over, many of you guys listening right now would be you know would say you have trust issues. One of the biggest dilemmas of our time is trust issues. I don't trust people. And part and parcel because of our own mistakes. You trust the wrong, you trusted the wrong person. That's the problem. It's not that you have trust issues because people betray you. You have trust issues because you give your trust to the wrong people. We don't ever take responsibility for that. It's easy for us to put it on everybody else. It's easy for us to say, I have trust issues because this person betrayed me. That person was treacherous towards me. That person, you know, went behind my back. Yeah, but the person, if you were paying attention close enough, that person has shown you time and time again that they are not to be trusted with the level of trust that you gave, right or wrong. You fail to see that. You fail to see that. So don't say I have trust issues, meaning I have trust issues because I've been betrayed a lot. No, you have trust issues because you trust the wrong people, genius. We all have to have some level of trust. Going into a marriage, going into a relationship, all of that requires some level of trust that what the person is telling you is actually the truth. But then you have intuition, you have that gut feeling, you have istikhara where you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reveal certain things, you know, to you. You understand? You have other tools in your toolbox to help you not just put your full trust in the person. You understand? You have seen certain things from the person, but yet you still go in and you trust them anyway. Blind, blind trust. And then you turn around after the person burns you and you say, I have trust issues. That's why I don't trust people. No, you have trust issues, genius, because you trust the wrong people. You trust people who have shown you time and time again that they don't deserve that amount or that degree of trust, but you're so free with your trust. Correct me when I'm wrong. 
But the story of Prophet Yusuf is a story of the greatest form of treachery. And that was by his own, bro his own brothers, his own blood brothers, the same blood that flowed through them flowed through him. They had the same father. You understand? The story of Prophet Yusuf salam, is a story of treachery, betrayal at the highest grade. The highest grade of betrayal. His brothers went, they lied to the father, Prophet Yaqub. They took him out, you know what I mean? Took his shirt off of him, beat him up, threw him down in the well, and then, you know, in, in the well, and then they squatted, waiting for the caravan to come by. Caravan comes by, they come and they sell him. That ayat alone is so powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They sold him for a cheap price. This is the brothers doing this to their own brothers. How many of us have been sold up the river for a cheap price? I have on many occasions been so sometimes I've been sold up the river. I'm looking at the person like, damn, like that's what you did that for. You you did that because you wanted acceptance. You wanted somebody to accept you and your crew and their crew and their clique. It's like, are you serious? Like you would betray me, right? You would betray me just to be accepted by a group of people who are going to turn around and betray you too. It's, it, this stuff is hilarious, man. It's it, this is grown. These are grown men. I'm talking about grown men <laughs> will sell you up the river only to be accepted by a group of people who will turn around and do the same damn thing to them. Wow. It's like really, and you get what you deserve, man. You reap what you sow, man. That's what your hand called for. Yeah. I'd have been sold up the river by people for this, like insignificant, man. You know what I mean? Like infinitesimal. It's just like, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even understand it, man. So, you know. And the fact of the matter is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, was sharaw who be feminine They sold him for a cheap price. Just a few dirhams, 20 dirhams, 20 dirhams they sold Yusuf for, their own brother. Twenty dirhams they sold him for. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What can be he mean a zahidin? They didn't even see any worth in him. They didn't see any worth in him. They sold him. They didn't even see his worth. He was worth nothing in their eyes. So the story of Yusuf is a story of betrayal, of treachery, of the highest grade. But when you look at the end of the story, that betrayal was met with forgiveness. Right, it's insulting for you to think so little of my worth, absolutely. 
but that's where they were at that time. What was driving them was the jealousy, the envy. You understand? That's where they were at that time. So Yusuf goes through his, follows his path, you know, goes to prison, you know, becomes the Aziz of Egypt to the end of the story. And as we said, uh, and when we covered that story, one of the lessons that we got from that part of the story is that what they did to Yusuf end up making him a king. Do you understand? What they did to Yusuf, although in, in their plight, you know, in their, in their journey to, you know, selling him and getting rid of him and doing what they figured they needed to do to earn their father's love and attention, they ended up making him a king. And when Yusuf becomes the Aziz of Egypt and he realizes that those are his brothers, it was asinine for him to go back and be petty. Here again, high functioning. I'm a king now. I function like a king. Why would I need to go back and seek retributions against my brothers for something that they did to me that actually propelled me to become a king? Right. You understand? What, why? Here again, high-functioning behavior. High-functioning behavior. I'm a king now. I'm a king now. Why would I need to go back and extract retribution on you for something that you did to me at a time that, you know, you didn't know any better? And he forgave them. He forgave them. Because to hold on to the resentment, he would not allow to rebel in the fact that he's a king. You understand? He would not be able to exercise king behavior if he held on to the resentment that he had for his brothers and what they did to him. You, you follow me? You see how that works? You got to let that go. You got to let the resentment go as, as much as we love to hold on to it, even against our own benefit even to our own detriment, you got to let it go in order to move forward. You got to let it go. Some of us right now are still at the same place, at the same time, same place, because we have an arrested development. Trauma creates an arrested development. You understand? Trauma creates an arrested development. Some of us are still at the time and the place that the trauma was created in our lives. We have not been able to move forward. You are still stuck at that same place, an arrested development. I promise you. Some of us are still the six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old. We're still at that place when that trauma was caused to us. We're still there. Because the resentment has anchored you to that behavior, to that time. It's like a person who goes to prison in the 80s and comes home in the 2000s and you still function like you in the 80s. You have an arrested development. You did not progress. You did not evolve. You are still stuck in 1988 when you got locked up. This is what happens to people who go to prison and spend long periods of time in prison without elevating their mind. You're sitting around in a day room watching TV all day long, eating your soups and you know, and your tuna fish all day long and that's and go to the gym. That's all the only thing that has changed on you after spending 10, 15 years in prison is the physical body. That's all you worked on. You read a couple of books but you have no understanding. 
You read a few books and you can run off some authors. You can talk about what happened in the book, but there is no practical application of that information in your life currently. So you still miss the mark. You still miss the mark. You miss your target. Elevate this. But Prophet Yusuf, there was no sense in him holding them accountable for what they did to him at that moment. Why? I'm a king now. Why do I need to go back? Because then that would make me no different than they are. So Prophet Yusuf couldn't continue holding on to the hate that he had for them or the resentment for them in this new experience that he is having. It's just like a, a woman who was resenting her ex-husband or a man who's resenting his ex-wife and then you're taking all of your pain out on your current wife. You are in a current situation. You understand? How many times as men, we got to tell women, I am not your ex-husband. The smallest little thing that I do, you're making a connection between what I'm doing, which is a random in innocent situation, and you're connecting it. Well, that's what my ex-husband did. But you're traumatized by your ex-husband. I am not your ex-husband. Stop making parallels between my behavior and what you experience at the hands of this nut over here that you were married to before. I am not your ex-husband. But you can't even enjoy your current relationship. You can't enjoy your current because you are stuck and traumatized by your past. It is self-sabotaging behavior, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. Some of us are doing this right now. Stop doing that. You're going to ruin your current situation. You're not going to be able to enjoy your current situation because you're constantly making parallels between where you are currently and what was done to you in the past. This is a new situation. This is a new situation. That's not to say that some of the behaviors might be reoccurring, but even if you see the same behaviors over and over again, then you got to ask yourself, why in the hell do you keep choosing the same man? Why you keep choosing the same man? If you're seeing the reoccurring behaviors, you don't see a pattern with your behavior? <laughs> don't hold the man accountable because he is who he is. That's who he is. That's who you married. Don't hold him accountable and try to change him because he resembles too much your, your ex-husband. That's who you married. Change your thinking. Stop marrying the same dude. Stop marrying the same person over and over and over again. And then you're trying to change the person the way you tried to change your previous or the way you wanted your previous husband to change. You understand? Change you. You can't change the person that you marry. People don't change. Your perception of people changes. Your image of people changes. But the people themselves, they don't change. Many of us, our, our personalities are developed at seven years old. At seven, your personality is already intact. You are who you are. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ending, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealing this surah to the Prophet sallallahu there is a message, a special message in this surah, embedded in this surah. Right, nothing is anybody's fault, right? That's the, the mantra of today's time. Nothing is anybody's fault. 
So always somebody, you know, somebody else is the, the blame for it. We never take any self-accountability. Absolutely. So in re revealing this surah to the Prophet Sallallahu in, in, in the Meccan period is a, is a special message that is embedded in this surah that the Prophet Sallallahu is supposed to decode and apply to his own situation. What is that message? What is that message? What is the message that was in Surah to Yusuf that Allah revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in the Meccan period that he was supposed to decode from that and apply it to his own life? What's the message? Let me see any, let me see who can find it. What's the message that the Prophet ﷺ is supposed to get from Surah to Yusuf? And did the Prophet use it? Did he get the message and did he apply it? That's the question. Let me see who can get this. I got another book for the person who can answer this. That he should forgive the people of Mecca. Okay, did he apply it? And when did he apply it? I want the exact situation where he applied it. See, it's one thing to get the message. It's another thing to get the message and then to practically apply it to your life. That's where we go wrong. Where did the Prophet Wasallam to, uh, where did he apply this? He forgave them when he stood on the mountain? Mm. Eh. Mm, you gotta be a little more specific than that. Allah returned Mecca to him the way he fulfilled Yusuf's dream. No, not when he signed the peace treaty. Mm -mm. I want the exact space, the exact time when he applied this. Right. Ahmed, Yunus, mashallah, you got it. Send me an email, man. Imam Shadid Muhammad at Gmail. Send me an email, man. I'm going to send you a free book. You got it. When the Prophet Wasallam conquered Mecca, right? He conquered Mecca. After all they did to him, they were terrified. They were afraid that he was going to come in, sword swinging, you know, and take revenge. We're talking about the Battle of Bedr, the Battle of Uhud, the Battle of Khandaq, the Battle of Khaybar, you know, the, the peace treaty of Hudaybiyah. You're talking about the second, third, fifth, sixth, eighth. You're talking about all of these different years within the Meccan period. He spent most of his years in the Medinan period fighting with Quraysh only to go back to Mecca, to conquer Mecca, and then say to them, as they were afraid that he was going to come in, swords swinging, and he said to them, what do you think I'm going to do to you? And they said, oh, you know, you're the son of, you know, our, you know, this one, you're the good person, you're this, you're that. And the Prophet said, go, you're free. I'm not going to do nothing to you. I got Mecca in the palm of my hand. The same place that I was not even allowed to come into. I have Mecca in the palm of my hand. Why do I need to now, here again, high functioning behavior. Why do I need to stoop so low and capture you, put you in chains, fetter you, you know, kill you? Why do I need to do that? I am the man, right? 
I hate to use the Biggie quote, but it's so appropriate right here. You know what I mean? Drop top me in. I'm the man, girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm that guy. I don't need to do that to you. You understand? The same thing that Yusuf did to his brothers is the same exact thing that the Prophet did to Quraysh. He got the lesson. The Prophet got the lesson from Surah to Yusuf. And he applied it to his life. That's the point here. He applied it. He got the lesson. Allah revealed the Surah all the way in the Meccan period. You understand? All the way in the Meccan period, he reveals the Surah. The Prophet is taking mental notes. Oh, that's what Yusuf did when he became a king of Egypt and he let them go and he didn't hold any resentment. And so he now conquers Mecca with not a drip of blood spilled. Not one drop of blood was spilled in the conquest of Mecca. Mecca was basically handed to him on a silver platter. You understand? Basically handed to him on a silver platter. He didn't have to raise a sword. The same place that he was not even allowed to. You remember when he took the Muslims to go make Umrah and they denied him entry into Mecca? They told him he couldn't come in. You remember when the Sahaba went to the Kaaba to pray and they got beat up? Abdullah ibn Mas'ud went to recite the Quran and the Quraysh jumped up and started beating on him, pounding on him, cut his ear, cut his ear, cut half of his ear off. You know what I mean? Because he called the other day, he started reciting the Quran at the Kaaba. You know, all of this stuff. And now years later to go in and conquer Mecca and not spill one drop of blood. Why, do, why would I need to hold any grudges against you? I'm good. So I'm saying to all you guys right now, where you are in your lives right now, the pain that somebody caused you in your life, whether it was your parent, whether it was an uncle, whether it was somebody who molested you, somebody who took advantage of you when you were vulnerable, whether it was a husband, whether it was a, a wife, whether it was whoever, let that go and enjoy your kingship and your queenship. You can't be the king, you can't be the queen if you still hold on to resentment. Part of the reason why many of us cannot enjoy where we are right now is because we are being anchored to the trauma that was created in our lives. Let that joint go, let it go. You think that by holding on to the resentment, you are hurting that person. That person has moved on and living their best life. You're not hurting them. You're hurting you. You are hurting you. And it wasn't personal. That's just where that person was in their life. You just happen to be the collateral damage. You understand? I put out a post some time ago. Do not come in between a person's war with themselves or you will end up collateral damage. Don't take it personal. It's not personal. And so it would have been asinine for the Prophet to seek revenge at that point, at that juncture, when he had the whole of Mecca in the palm of his hand. The test of a man's character is not how he treats his friends, but how he treats his enemies and those who have wronged him. Your biggest test is not how you treat the people that you love. Your biggest test comes in how you treat the people who have wronged you. 
I'll end this talk with an ayat from Surah to Shura, Surah number 42, ayat 43. Turn to this ayat. Turn to this ayat. We healing this morning, man. Hopefully. We healing this morning, inshallah. We healing, man. It's a process. Turn to Surah number 42, ayat 43. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, pay attention to the ayat. Get the lesson here. وَلِمَنْ صَبَرَ وَغَفَرَ وَإِنَّ ذَارِكَ لَمِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ What does the ayah say in English? Those of you who understand Arabic, you get it. What does the ayah say in English? وَلِمَنْ صَبَرَ وَغَفَرَ إِنَّ ذَارِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ What does Allah say? What does Allah say? Salahuddin, hayakallah. What does Allah say in this ayah? Please, please tell me what this ayah says. You don't need nothing else after this ayah. Everything that we talked about summed up right here in this one ayah. What does the ayah say? وَلِمَنْ صَبَرَ وَغَفَرَ إِنَّ ذَارِكَ مِنْ عَزْمِ الْأُمُورِ This is the solution. This is why the Quran has all of our answers. This is why the Quran is an answer for everything. If we would only take this message to the larger world, we would make a huge impact on the world. Muslims have been silent for a long time dealing with their own vices, man. It's time for us to take this message out to the world. Allah says, whoever endures patiently and forgives, that is a sign of real result. And for the one who is patient, you got to be patient with what they have given you. And forgive at the end of that. Patience is for you to deal with the trauma that they've caused you. Forgiveness is also for you, but you cut the other person loose so that you can heal. So 42, ayah 43. 42, 43. 42, 43. Remember that ayah. For the one who is patient and forgives. Got to be patient with the trauma that the person caused you. And, but you got to forgive them. Then Allah says, This is from the highest, highest of affairs. The highest of moral human behavior. High functioning. So even forgiveness is a behavior, is a quality, is a characteristic of a high-functioning person. Even forgiveness is a quality, is a trait of being a high-functioner. Min azmil umur, from the highest. Hey, Auntie Tara, I love you too. This is from the highest of human behaviors. How Resentment is an anchor that does not allow you to rise above the offense or the infraction. You want to be you want to be able to navigate your way through the world. You got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to forgive, man. Resentment hurts you, does not hurt the other person. All right. 
You guys have been great. for lending me your time this morning. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and reward you all. Sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa salama tasliman kathira. Wa subhanaka rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I really have to run. I would leave some time for question and answers, but I, I have to go. I have some running around to do this morning. But you guys have been great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. Uh, Ahmed, as well as Sharice, please get at me. Email me, inshallah ta'ala, so I can give you your book via the email. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.